I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. I didn't care about nothing else but partying. I should be doing horror music. Yeah, fine. Kunde vi få en av oss där? Hej, 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 a flavor from the old so you don't scare people but with the future Nile Manion är Manoletaf, irländaren som gjorde Berlin till sitt och i mitten av 10-talet när han slagit igenom lämnade stan och gick vidare musikaliskt. Nu är han aktuell med sitt tredje album At The Moment på DJ Kåses Pampa Records. Ett album som låter alla influenserna komma upp till ytan. Uppmuntran är viktigt att få som ung men det Mano fick i respons bara några minuter efter att han gjort klart sin första låt var oväntat. Det var pretty much the first tune I made. I put it up on MySpace. Like 10 minutes later or 15 minutes later I got a message from Ten Snake. He wrote me a message and was like, "Yeah, this is great. I want to put it on my label." And I was like, "What's going on?" And I was like, "I don't know." <laughs> it was just so weird. Tre album och ett dussintal singlar har irländaren hunnit med under sin musikaliska resa. Allt eftersom åren gått har han vidgat sin ljudbild och låtit många av sina tidiga influenser få fritt spelrum. Modet har ökat och även viljan att prova nytt så nu omfamnar han även dubb och en dos trance. De första singlarna av Manuel Taff gavs ut av Prins Thomas och senare Ten Snake. Manuel Taff började elektroniskt och blev sedan allt ledigare i sin stil och med en analog känsla som tydligt lånar från både pop, rock och lite disco. Ja, Manuel Taff är möjligtvis en aning en annorlunda skapare av elektronisk musik och hans primära instrument och det han ständigt återkommer till är gitarren. Well, guitar is like the instrument that I can express myself with. You know, like I can, I can just play it. You know, I don't have to think about it. So, uh, for me, like writing melodies and stuff, it's like a very physical thing with the guitar. I just like, I just do it like uh, subconsciously, and I can just play whatever. Um, so it's, yeah, it's funny. Like when I play stuff on keys, you know, I kind of have to think about the scales and whatever. And with guitar, I don't really have to think about that. So it's like it's just a quicker way for me to to work and I think it's more kind of personal because it's a, an instrument that I can 
that I can really communicate with, you know. Uppvuxen på den gröna ön Irland, känd för sina milda årstider och lätta och konstanta regnande där det i vissa områden regnar ungefär 225 dagar om året och det säger jag bara så att vi svenskar ska veta att det finns de som har det värre. Greystones heter den vackra kuststaden med ungefär 15 000 invånare. Självklart omringad av golfbanor i världsklass. Det positiva för många ungdomar som växer upp där är väl ändå att det bara är drygt två mil till huvudstaden Dublin. Det var där i Greystones som Manuel Taff fastnade för ljud. Både från musiken men även andra typer av ljud. Apart from obviously nursery rhymes and all that, the first time I became kind of aware of music and sound, um, or certainly my strongest memory of it is uh, recording stuff off the radio, like Talking Heads, Fine Young Cannibals, Simply Reds, and uh, yeah, making a mixtape. And my mum came into my room. Um, I think I was like probably about seven or eight or something, and she said, "Wow, you're like a teenager already." And I just thought that was so cool. But um, I remember being. Uh, Yeah, just so into the sound of the records and it was like a really it was like a an awakening of just being really conscious of sounds rather than, you know, like a melody or you know, like kid songs who's really been aware of like, wow, this is different. This is weird. It was like the sound of the records and what it did to me or what how it made me feel and I wasn't able to articulate yet like why this had an effect, but I remember being really aware of it going like this is This is making me feel something. I don't know what it is, and it wasn't, you know, it wasn't into the, the, you know, the lyrical content of the tunes. Obviously, was way over my head, and but there was something about the music that kind of just made me kind of react and be like, "What is this? And why does it make me feel like this? And why is it different to, you know?" It was just the first real awakening of of listening to music, and it's yeah, kind of making me think about what it was. It's quite interesting. really got into music through my older brother his friends and his his friends older brothers who were like into kind of like dance music and um yeah i remember like listening to tapes of like they made us tapes of like the early prodigy stuff like they were probably like in their early teens as well but you know they seemed really old at that time but i remember hearing charlie by the prodigy in one of those tapes and uh yeah a few other things but yeah So it was, yeah, that was that was the first I think kind of way into like uh, into youth culture or kind of like yeah and dance music culture. Yeah, I think like after like first being exposed to kind of music, then then uh, I got into like uh, like guitar music. So like Nirvana in the early '90s, like I was still very young, but like older again, like other friends, older brothers and stuff were really into Nirvana. So then we like got into Nirvana. I remember being like obsessed with like Nirvana for a while. Um, and then I started playing guitar in that time. So I was at like, you know, 11, 12. Um, and then played guitar for most of my teens. Once it was in bands, like, you know, just garage bands or whatever. Um, and um, then, uh, yeah, like, you know, you have a dream of like either like, well, certainly when I grew up was like to play sport or else to play music. Um, and played sport a bit but wasn't very good at it or it was you know grand nothing special um and then uh but music I just kind of yeah I just kept doing that uh I knew I wanted to do it but it was kind of like it's difficult to 
it's difficult to see a way into being a professional musician like where I grew up and at that time especially you know it was kind of just pre-internet and pre like having access to other people and access to scenes um and so like I didn't live in a big city so there was no kind of scene around where I was but everyone kind of still played instruments um so that's why I think when I first started getting into dance music it was the first time I was exposed to a scene it was the first time that I was like had access to like a world of people who are actually doing it like for a living and um, I think it, it was really when I started producing and DJing that I thought like okay I think I want to do this now for a living like I, I wanted to do it before but I couldn't see a way into it but this is like yeah I think electronic music kind of it felt like you know it could become a reality or whatever so Få ta del av en scen och få en känsla av tillhörighet, det kom när dansmusiken gjorde intag i Manos liv. Dessförinnan var det några år med spelande i diverse band med de allra närmaste vännerna. Successivt fick han en känsla av att det här var inom räckhåll, det var möjligt att låta musiken få ta större plats. Den första tiden av att spela i band var oerhört intensiv. När allt var rätt och alla influerades av vad som var det rådande soundet just då. I think we wanted to sound like Nirvana at the start, but then then we got into then I was into like Metallica quite a lot for like two years. I'd say like two years probably. Yeah, early teens. So I was in a few bands who like, you know, half the band would want to sound like Metallica and half the band would want to sound like Nirvana. <laughs> and then it became like Radiohead after a while and you know so it was, it was like a it was like a bit of everything um, you know you just played with whoever was around and stuff and everyone kind of had a bit different interests um, so yeah which is pretty good because you learn to play different stuff or whatever Ja, förutom att det var viktigt att låta som de unga årens favoritband så blev det senare svårt att hitta lokala band att se upp till. Det var hela tiden de internationella världsartisterna som inspirerade. Det fortsatte även när det blev elektronisk musik som tog fart i Manos liv. Det stora uppvaknandet kom när han varit på några klubbar i Dublin med omnöjd och tagit in och upplevt dansmusiken, fångats av den och samtidigt tänkt att bandet han spelade med nog skulle kunna omfamna klubbkulturen och på ett sätt bli en brygga, men så blev det inte. Festandet tog över och bandet fick en annan form. When we first started going out, we were kind of like, uh, I was in, I was actually in a kind of a band with my friends from our first kind of raver friends or whatever uh, called Hang Tough. And that's why I'm called Man of the Tough because I had like this band and we were like a really, really bad like DFA band, like a really, really bad LCD sound system. <laughs> you know, <laughs> but it was really fun. And uh, so we actually... Uh, It's funny how we started, how we started kind of DJing. It was because uh, we, we were going to this night called Backlash that friends were running in Dublin. And all our friends went there and it was great. It was like every Thursday. And then, um, so we kind of had this band and we had been rehearsing in like my parents' house and stuff just a few times. And then we moved into a house together in Dublin. We were like, yeah, we're going to rehearse. We're going to get really good. And when, after we moved into the house, we never ever played together ever again. And we just started doing parties in the house, like after parties and DJing at the parties. And that's how we started DJing, basically. And that's actually where I really, start, really started DJing was living in that house in Dublin, which was just like, we just had a lot of parties. Yeah. I kind of came out of like the, 
you know, Electro Clash, kind of Airlock and, um, you know, uh, less American side of Bloghouse, I would say. You know, like there was one side of Bloghouse which I love and the other side just went like really annoying. So uh, that's the kind of world they came from. Is like, yeah, like DFA, like um, Lindstrom, Prince Thomas, uh, Airlock and like his club, like Clash. Uh, indie indie dance kind of stuff um so that's what i was really into then i moved to berlin was really influenced by like berlin kind of sound which i hadn't been really like exposed to so much in ireland which was definitely more traditional kind of house and techno Levinget av Manoletafs drömmar om att få vara en del i ett irländskt DFA Känslan infann sig inte och idéerna höll inte. Däremot så stärktes gänget i känslan av att det var klubbarna och skapandet av dansmusiken som var vägen framåt. Det säger kanske en del om att man och hans kompisar ändå hade någon slags kvalitet för det är få förunnat att få uppleva en sån snabb positiv feedback som något man nyligen skapat som det man fick vara med om för ungefär 15 år sedan. Det tog alltså inte många minuter innan hans första låt började väcka uppmärksamhet. It was pretty much the first tune I made on Ableton, which I made when I was living in that house in Dublin. Um, I put it up on MySpace. MySpace was a thing at the time. And uh, like 10 minutes later or 15 minutes later, I got a message from Ten Snake. This is like 2007, so like Ten Snake wasn't well known or anything. And uh, maybe no, this is like 2006 maybe. But anyway. Um, he wrote me a message and was like yeah this is great I want to put it out on my label and I was like I just came down I remember coming downstairs and like my like a couple of friends were downstairs and was like this guy wants to put out my track on his label from Germany and everyone's like what? but like what's going on? and I was like I don't know <laughs> it was just so weird and that you know so it just kind of started straight away it took a while after that for anything to happen again but it was like that kind of encouragement at the start was like incredible. I think it gave me more confidence than I probably deserved at the time because I literally had just started making music. I didn't know what I was doing, you know? So it was like great encouragement, but it was also like, uh, you know, it gave me like great confidence in my kind of ignorance. You know, I was like, yeah, I could do this. Even though like I couldn't at the time, I was just like starting out and like my tunes were not, most of them were terrible. But even when I listen back to some of that stuff, it's like, you know it's pure confidence of ignorance i didn't have a clue what i was doing but i just wanted to make something that kind of sounded like a tune or you know so it was like uh yeah it's pretty cool but that gave me so much confidence and yeah and it gave me just like uh i guess like gave me like a sense of kind of momentum and then like yeah i want to do more of this and then i just kind of got i just got so into it then i was just doing it all the time and uh yeah that was just been my life since then you know Första låten skapade uppmärksamhet och det ville sig inte bättre än att det faktiskt var två personer som nappade på låten Warhorn. För det blev ju så att även om feedbacken från Ten Snake kom redan efter några minuter så tog det ändå riktigt lång tid innan det blev verklighet av det där släppet. Och inte heller alls på det sätt som Mano tänkt sig. Det var normannen Prince Thomas som faktiskt gillade vad han hörde. Så vad hände var att first record in international was with Prince Thomas. That was actually the the track that Ten Snake had liked, um, but then he couldn't put it out for whatever reasons. Um, and then I gave it to Prince Thomas in Dublin. So I guess I was still in Dublin then. Um, and uh, he was like, yeah, it's great. I'll put it out. So it was like, 
at that time, like Linstrument Prince Thomas, like after their first album, were like m- almost in electronic music. They were like two people I'd probably looked up to the most, you know. Um, so yeah, so then he wanted to put it out, and then in that time, I kind of moved to Berlin, and like it took like two years to come out or something. <laughs> Thomas is like. He's a genius, but I don't think he's that organized. <laughs> Definitely not at that time, anyway. Um, so, uh, yeah, but I guess, like, at the time, it was kind of painful because it took so long. I just wanted everything to happen, like, straight away. Um, but on the other hand, it probably did give me those two years to be able to work on music and to learn. And by the time I put out the first record, then I was kind of ready to do more stuff. If it had just come out before that, I probably would have had a big gap. So it was the wait was painful, but it was probably uh, it's pretty good thing. Under Manolitafs tonårstid hann han uppleva två typer av Irland. Initialt var landet rätt fattigt, men det kom att ändras då det blev känt för benämningen The Celtic Tiger. Benämningen på den ekonomiska boom som landet upplevde från början av 90-talet till slutet av 00-talet. Ireland was relatively poor compared to other European countries in the 90s. They attracted a lot of foreign investment in that period and they grew very rapidly. A lot of multinationals started establishing their base in Ireland. In the late 90s, they were growing almost 10% a year on average. So it became this powerhouse. It was seen as the Irish miracle. We had dramatic growth, phenomenal growth, almost unbelievable growth year on year up to 2006, 2007. Stora internationella investeringar bidrog till en snabb tillväxt som också ledde till en låne- och bostadsbubbla. När marknaden så kraschade 2008 så föll Irland mycket hårt. When I moved to Berlin was before the financial crash in 2008. So the financial crash in 2008 had like an outsized effect on Ireland because we had had like a massive economic boom up to that point. But what happened in 2008 was basically our banking system collapsed, which meant the whole economy was just like destroyed for, you know, Five years, pretty much. Building boom, property boom, price boom, and a construction boom. Biggest real estate bubble of any place in the world. Emigration has not been this high since the days of the Irish famine. An estimated 3,000 young people are leaving each month. That's 100 per day. Since the crisis struck Ireland in 2008, almost 200,000 young Irish have left to go and live abroad. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. 
Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. All the young people left. So, like, I left before that, before any of that happened. And people were like, why are you moving away? Like, Ireland's great. Within one or two years, like when I moved to Berlin, there was only me and Dara. We're the only two Irish people of our kind of like peer group that uh, that we knew who moved to Berlin. Within like two or three years, there was like hundreds of young Irish people there. Irland drabbades likt flera andra länder hårt och flera hundratusen unga han lämnat den gröna ön under de svåra åren. Det Berlin som Manuel Taff kom till var en stad som varit ett kulturellt blomstrande nav under en lång tid och framförallt 70-talet har varit känt för den kreativa period då Bowie och Iggy Pop bodde där och lät sig inspireras. Berlin var billigt och på så vis en fantastisk möjlighet för konstnärer och artister. Då det inte på samma sätt fanns någon press att tjäna mycket pengar då levnadskostnaderna var låga. Mano hängde med likasinnade och skapade musik och spelade skivor 3-4 kvällar i veckan. Något som verkligen inte hade varit möjligt i Dublin. Vi gick ut på en natt, vi gick till Watergate. At the time, it was like, oh, this is like, it was amazing, you know. Like, because in, in Dublin, like, you know, the clubs have to close at like 2.30, um, 3 o'clock. And uh, you're just very limited there by, like, nightlife, you know. And so that's why, like, DJ culture has always kind of struggled in Ireland because you just don't have the the amount of time for people to be able to do stuff, you know, for, for DJs who are coming up to be able to, like express themselves and to learn and whatever so um anyway uh we went to watergate and then Ashby's like let's go to this other place i heard about it was burkhine and burkhine 2006 was like really not well known it had only been open for like whatever one or two years um so we went to burkhine and that was just like like mind blown like the effect that that had on me was just like okay i think i have to move to berlin because you know it just seemed like there's so much happening here you know and uh so then moved to berlin after that Manuel Taff omfamnade verkligen Berlin och det dröjde inte länge förrän hans ljudbild påverkades. Och han anammade stadens mer strama och återhållsamma stil efter flitiga besök på Watergate och Berghain. Han kom till Berlin med några vänner som snabbt drog igång en klubb som blev framgångsrik vilket också bidrog till att Manuel Taff fick en extra knuff framåt samtidigt som hans musik gavs ut. 
Singlarna tog fart och så plötsligt var han namnet på allas läppar. Maeve är namnet på skibolaget han startade tillsammans med de två vännerna The Drifter och Baikal. 2012 drog de igång och utan någon överdrift så kan man väl säga att de under tio års tid inte givit ut så väldigt mycket men istället haft fokus på kvalitet och på producenter de har nära sig som Isolé, Mind Against och Phil Kieran. Där singlarna varit rotade i en modern klubbkultur i balansen mellan minimal house och techno, helt enkelt det återhållsamma Berlinsoundet, så har Mano låtit sina egna album vara som en frizon i sitt skapande. Här får idéerna inte samma ramar som singlarna på det egna bolaget Mave kräver. 2013 kom så debutalbumet ut och här blev det tydligt att influenserna var breda i form av allt från Neil Young, Arthur Russell, Radiohead och Steve Reich. Borta var Blogghausen och Berlinsoundet var nu tydligt. Albumet Changing Days blev hyllat och det med all rätt. Och tanken var att han skulle fortsätta när han väl hade tempot uppe men det visade sig bli svårare än han anat. Like I had like a great sense of momentum. I would say going into the first album, I'd done like like a few singles, did really well. Play, you know, kind of was building a bit of a momentum, kind of hype or whatever. First album went great. It's like the Primitive People remix by Televos was like a massive tune. And then I was like, you know, all of a sudden doing like 130 shows a year, and was like, yeah, I'm doing this. And then was like. Yeah, I'm gonna do another album, and I always like really liked when bands did like an album every two years because they kept the momentum and they kept their flow of like creativity and they were growing. And like if you look back in the Beatles, they did like you know, you know, two albums a year and stuff. <laughs> the Beatles were only together for like eight years, and they did like I don't know how many albums. Uh, so I was like, yeah, I can totally do this. And like, not only did it was I like touring and everything, I also like moved to Switzerland in that time. So like between yeah you know, 2013 2015, um, and I was like yeah I'm gonna do another album. So I did another album, but I forced myself to do another album rather than letting, you know, I didn't let myself, uh, I didn't let the album like ferment. I didn't like you know, I didn't uh, give it. A, I didn't give myself enough time to, you know, to develop the ideas or develop a, a concept for the album or to develop a, like a sound for the album. I was just like, yeah, I'm gonna keep my momentum and do another album now. And it was just like rushed basically. And I probably should have been about 75% of it. Um, and, you know, I <laughs> kept working on it for another year or two, but uh, I didn't. And yeah, it's just a bit of a, it's like, it's one regret I have. It's, from that but I don't regret it as well because you know I learned from the experience and I didn't do my next album for under six years after that <laughs> Det gick hela sex år mellan album nummer två och tre och det var en period av lärande och självransakan och att låta livet få ta plats sedan några år tillbaka bor han i ett hus utanför Syrisch i Schweiz och kan blicka ut över stadens stora sjö. Han verkar ha hittat en fin balans med familj, barn och musikskapande. Pandemin har påverkat kulturarbetare över hela världen och så även Mano. På många sätt är avsaknaden av dansgolv och de återkommande upplevelserna av eufori något som påverkar alla kreatörer. I Manos fall handlar det också om att samarbetet med DJ Kåse fördjupades och att han blev ett viktigt musikaliskt bollplank. 
like we kind of bumped into each other a couple of times over the years, but the first time we kind of communicated about like uh, collaborating or anything was actually he did two remixes for the second album for Energy Flow, which were amazing. So that kind of saved the whole project for me, I guess. So it was actually very that was actually the big probably one of the big positives from the whole experience. Um, and actually, I think from him hearing me sing on the second album on like Energy Flow and stuff. Uh, then he was like, whoa, who's, I remember he said to me, he's like, who's that singing? Is that the guy from Phoenix? And I was like, no, that's me. And he was like, wow. So I think that probably sowed the seeds of like then, you know, us working together on the on my new record. That just gave me great confidence in terms of like trusting myself, making the records. And like, you know, we communicated a lot about the tracks and I sent him like, you know, I make... I make a lot of music, you know, so I sent him like tons of demos and we would always like discuss them or whatever. And it was the ones that he picked out quite a lot were the ones that I felt I was, uh, that were raw for me, you know, um, which kind of exposed more of my history of music or whatever. Um, so that kind of then gave me like more confidence to, you know, go deeper into that kind of, into the process I was, I was doing and to uh, just really express myself. Um so, yeah, it's very helpful, actually, for my general kind of psyche, you know, and my kind of artist. Yeah, I think at the same time as when I was making at the moment, I was also making club tracks like in parallel just because I was just making whatever felt right at the time. So I actually made like probably like, you know, whatever, 30 to 50 club tracks at the same time because I was just working. I was just being like super creative and just like working every day and just making music and not a... Uh, you know, trying to get out of my own way and just let the music kind of flow and stuff. So I have quite a lot of club tracks that I've made that I'm going to put out quite soon that are made at the same time. So um, I guess like you'll have to hear them and then work out <laughs> where the connections are. But for me, it's all part of the same kind of, you know, process and stuff. Um, I think some probably, I would say like some of the freedom of in that was making the record, um, I'd say a lot of the same kind of freedom is in the kind of club tracks I was making, you know, so they're not as formulaic maybe or as some of the other stuff that I've done, yeah. Avslutningsvis berättade Manoli Taff om hur Digikose bidragit till att ge honom en perfekt liten knuff framåt för att kunna slutföra albumet. Det viktigaste är inte att det ska låta bäst. Sången må vara central men det är inte skönsång som är viktigt. Det är vad som blir sagt och känslan i hur det förmedlas. Ja, du har hört Musik och Därnulf med Manoli Taff. Tack för att du har lyssnat och supporta gärna genom att bli Patreon och få ta del av ännu lite bättre erbjudanden och skivor och snart även bonusavsnitt. Vad vill du höra? Hör av dig till Kalle snabela.danulf.se eller på sociala medier Facebook och Instagram Musik och Danulf. Vi hörs! Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. 
Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.